Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to a special episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we normally take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, we're doing something a little bit different. Today, in celebration of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we are taking a look at the films of Quentin Tarantino and ranking them. We're going to tell you what our favorite Tarantino movies are in order. Joining me for this one is Joe Black again, who was just on the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode. And we had a great time talking back-to-back about Tarantino for, God, over two hours of Tarantino. But, I mean, honestly, when it comes to the films of this guy... You could seriously just, you could easily talk much longer than that, but we had a lot of fun, and we're going to get into that conversation here in a second, but I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure to subscribe to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You could also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. You can also go to our website, piecingpod.com, and sign up for the mailing list, where we're going to be doing a whole lot of new giveaways and contests and all that kind of stuff in the coming months. we got a lot planned for this show, so uh, make sure to get signed up. So, without any further ado, let's jump into our ranking of the films of Quentin Tarantino. All right, so uh, today we are doing something a little different. We're doing a top list not top 10 top nine with us again is joe black joe how's it going man oh it's going great long time no see i know right it sure seems that way <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I, I, of course um like with our once upon a time in hollywood episode chad clinton freeman was supposed to be here for this but he had to he had to miss out unfortunately but joe i know you're a tarantino fan i'm sure we're gonna have a great time talking about the films of quentin tarantino I'm very excited about it. I, uh, you know, like any film lover in the 90s and any film student in the early 2000s, he was kind of like the guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like him and then Wes Anderson, those were the guys. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's one of the most interesting filmmakers, like, you know, really every time his movies come out, it's just such an event. And yeah, I would actually agree. Wes Anderson's another big one for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, Tarantino movie is just such an event thing. Uh, and I got to say, making this list was very difficult um, because as I found, I actually 
I everybody knows I don't watch movies at home very often, certainly not as often as I should, but I actually watched all of his movies leading up to going to see What's Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, and my ranking changed so much from what it would have been if wow. I did this list a week ago. I mean, that's exciting. I, yeah, it's it's interesting that things could change that much, but um why don't we jump in? <laughs> why don't we jump in and get into some of this? Uh, what do you have for your number nine? Okay, so I just need to I just need to say up front a little disclaimer, like that my list is not necessarily about quality. What I think the quality of the films, it's just what I'm interested in. Personally. Same, same here, and, absolutely. And and another disclaimer, I was very disinterested with the first half of Tarantino's career. Hmm. I'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. Um, uh, so number nine for me is Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Um, while you know a tight movie, you know, and with a lot of quote unquote cool characters, um, I find that this movie was a necessary step. It was, it was, it was a unique voice, one of the most unique voices. A, 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 a an entire. Uh, it changed everything. This voice, Tarantino's mm-hmm. voice, changed the entire industry, right? Um, and a voice like that, it's very scary to say out loud for to speak out loud for the first time. Sure. And that's what he had to do. And I feel like when you go back and you look at Reservoir Dogs, as much as you may love it, a lot of the dialogue is very clunky. It doesn't flow as naturally as his pop culture references and stuff do. Even in Pulp Fiction, it feels just very like we're talking about Madonna now. Now we're talking about Jackie Brown or we're talking about Pam Greer. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I also feel like the flashbacks don't always add. Like he's he's done that better later. Okay. I personally could do without the Mr. Blo- uh, the, the Mr. White flashback. I don't think it really adds much. I think the Mr. Orange flashback could be cut in half. Mm. Um, I don't like the glorification of violence in this movie. I feel like his other films have also been very good about not glorifying the violence, but, but about like celebrating the, uh, the huzzah of movies, you know, of catharsis in violence. But sure. this movie, I feel, is indulgent in the violence. Even though you don't see the cops, you're getting cut off. That scene is not cool, and everybody <laughs> loves that scene. <laughs> I also, you can tell that this was made before True Romance, um, and it's the only film where Tarantino's characters lose. Mm. Um, and uh, that, for me, makes a very unsatisfying movie. Gotcha. Um, I don't care that, that Mr. White and Mr. Orange learn about their father-son bond that they've developed between each other because they both just fucking get blown away at the <laughs> um, that just doesn't do anything for me right um uh so yeah reservoir dogs big big uh, uh very very clearly the bottom of the list for me gotcha well reservoir dogs will be much higher for me but i will say uh you know honestly as i get into my number nine here i i should say i don't dislike any of his movies um mm-hmm. i i definitely think all nine of them I, I absolutely like. He's one of the only filmmakers I could say that about. Uh, that being said, though, before my rewatches, my number nine, I didn't really like at all. I always thought, like, oh, there's this one that I didn't like. I have found things I really like about it in my rewatch. So I just wanted to say that up front. And that is Death Proof. Um, mm. a movie that it just, the first time I watched it, it did nothing for me. I didn't get it. I didn't get 
I didn't get any of the uh, excitement, any of the fun out of it. I mean, I, I got what he was trying to do. It just didn't really work for me in any way. While rewatching it, and maybe it's also partially because it was my first time seeing the the full cut, you know, not just the within the grindhouse uh, version. Okay, so you only saw it in the theater. Yes, I had only seen it in the theater okay. previously, and yeah. uh, and so maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know, but this time around, the the parts that work work really well. I mean, the 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 stunt stuff is fantastic. Uh, the uh, I love stuntman Mike, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll, even a lot of the uh, dialogue with the girls worked for me. Even though the first time around, I was like, "Oh, this is just it just keeps going and it keeps going," you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. Number nine, Death Proof, and I have to say, I at least like it now. I think you're not alone in that. Even Quentin himself said that was his least favorite of his work. Yeah. Uh, well, the way he put it, I believe, was that uh, if at the end of his career you could say that Death Proof is his worst movie, then he's doing something right. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Well, what do you got for your uh, number eight, then? Woo, here it comes. Uh, Kill Bill. Okay. Um, Kill Bill, uh, I find that movie to be so frustratingly bad mm. uh, at times. Um, unlike you, I there are a few films of his that I just don't like, and okay. Kill Bill is one of them. Um, I I mean, everyone knows the legend that he was working on Inglorious Bastards and he put it away to make Kill Bill and then he came back and made Inglorious Bastards. I have this theory that I believe that he saw the film uh, Battle Royale mm-hmm. and he said to himself, fuck, that's what I want to be doing, mm-hmm. right? And so I think he put Inglorious Bastards away and made Kill Bill because he really wanted to make Inglorious Bastards his masterpiece. He was really trying to say something to that film. Mm-hmm. And so he said, Kill Bill, I've got this fun little meaningless story that's just a bunch of good fun yeah. that I can use as a platform to experiment. Because that film is very experimental. He pushes mm-hmm. the boundaries of everything all over the place in that movie. And to me, it causes the whole thing to fall apart, in my opinion. Right. Um, but he really pushes things to their limit. And a lot of people talk about, like, I remember when I left the theater, somebody would be like, oh, it's very Tarantino. And I was like, is it? <laughs> like you watch that and you go yeah just like jackie brown you know like when she's climbing out of the ground and like the music is swelling and then she rips the eyeball out that's just like jackie brown um uh-huh. but uh <laughs> but while i appreciate the extremes he went to and i really appreciate michael madsen's absolutely incredible performance and while i really love because i'm only flesh and blood of course i love the crazy 88 fight scene sure um i find it to be um, indulgent, all over the place, long-winded, and I personally feel David Carradine gives a painfully awful performance, almost on par with how bad of a performance Vivica Fox gives. <laughs> Thankfully, she is eliminated quickly. Um, um, but unfortunately, said, Bill sticks around for a little while. So. The cinematography is lovely. Um, I read Kill Bill before it came out. I've actually read every single Quentin screenplay Mm. almost all of them a year before actually seeing the the film itself with the exception of um reservoir dogs and pulp fiction i saw those when i was very young Mm -hmm. but every other quentin tarantino film i read the script before seeing the film and um the script for kill bill is way different than the movie we got and um significantly better Mm -hmm. um i get what he was going for with the ending with them just having that three second fight scene um and her giving him the five point uh exploding heart trick thing yeah um in the script, they have that scene, and he says to her at the end of the scene, he goes, you know that I want you to win out there, right? She goes, I know. And he says, you know that I can't let you. She goes, I know. Then they go down to, they actually go down to the beach, 
draw their swords, have the stand up. They run, clash swords one time, look at each other, run back to clash swords again, and that's when she does the palm trick. Huh. And it's so much richer, so much more cinematic. It's such a better payoff. It, I don't know, man. Interesting. <coughs> oh, I also love the end credits to Kill Bill 2, of course. Oh. <laughs> Those are great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you know, uh, and, you know, I'll talk more about Kill Bill when we get to it on my list, but I, I, I do find that, well, I, I certainly wouldn't say I don't like it. Uh, I found that on my rewatch, it, it, the biggest drop uh, of any of the movies, I, I used to love it so much when I was like in my 20s, you know, and mm. yeah, I was surprised how much it didn't quite hold up for me as much as I thought it did. Right. Um, but uh, for my number eight, though, I am going to go with Django Unchained, which, <laughs> which to me, I think there are so many great moments in the movie. There's a lot that I really, really love about it. But the thing that there's two things about it that bug me. One is just simply I think it's needlessly long. Um, all of his movies are long, but it just doesn't feel necessary with with uh, Django, but also the other thing that that bugs me about this movie, I feel in this this long career of nine movies, ten if you split Kill Bill one and two apart, um, the only comedic moments that don't land are in Django Unchained. I think there's some comedy in here that just really falls flat, and it just example. Uh, I don't I don't really think that the whole KKK scene is that funny. I I think it drags on almost like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Um, that's just what one, one example, but, um, I, I think there are some, some beats in there that just really just, eh, they just don't work for me. You know that there's a, like a 40 page section of the script that's not in the film, right? Really? I, I could yeah. imagine that because it seems like he just had a lot to say. And that's, what, that's one interesting thing about the movie. It seems like he had a lot to say with it. I'll get into it when I bring up Django. And Django. I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll mention that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you I got for uh, what do you got for number seven then? Jay, Jay, it was pretty good. All right, number seven for me is Death Proof. Um, okay, Death Proof is a movie that um, uh, very frustrating, kind of like you said. Um, I think visually, it's my favorite Tarantino film. Mm -hmm. um, even though the first half and the second half are complete visual contrasts of each other, and I still don't quite know why he did that. Why? The second half looks so modern, and the first half has that beautiful, muddy, rainy, saturated look to it. Um, I wonder if he had trouble doing the stunts, like with that look. Like maybe that could have something. He's the director of photography on that. Yeah. Um. Um. And uh, I don't know, but um, some of the positives, like you said, I really just I love the stunts and I love stuntman Mike. Um, but um. This is cheating a little. Mm. Um, and this is me admitting that... Uh, anyway, I took the director's cut and I put it into uh, my editor. <laughs> and I cut 14 minutes out of it. Mm. Um, uh, and when I showed it to my friends, they didn't even notice. I didn't tell them. Mm. I cut 14 minutes out of this movie. Um, little snippets here and there. and um, And... So that's the version that I'm ranking at uh, <laughs> number seven. Um, so it would be a little lower otherwise? No, no, because I still like it better than Kill Bill. Uh, okay. I, I'm just saying that um, 
that like I agree with you that like it's the one time where his dialogue was just too much. It like just went like way over like long. Right. And what they're saying is cool, but like the fact that they say it for so long makes it uncool. Right. And um yeah. I just I just think that the characters in it are so wonderful in the first half. I find the characters in the second half to be fairly obnoxious, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like the first schools, the first schools, huh? The first <laughs> set of girls, they're just cool. Right. The second set of girls almost feel like they're trying to show off how cool they are. Sure, sure. Like they're trying to like act like the boys, act like the dudes, you know? Right, right. The first girls are just like kind of badass and awesome. Yeah. Um, and I still to this day have no idea, time time be damned, why they cut the, the uh, striptease dance scene that she does out of the grindhouse cut. Because without it, I mean, the movie is just so limp. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. Like that scene is so brilliant and brilliantly shot and edited. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just fantastic scene. Um, yeah, I'm really glad I got to watch that full, full version. So that way, I like kind of knew what the movie really was. You know, right? It, it definitely helped, like, make it into a full movie for me. You know? Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention with Kill Bill. Uh, sorry, so sorry, but like, I've seen the whole bloody affair cut too. Um, yeah, I would imagine you would have gotten a chance to. You, you get to all those kind of crazy one-offs. <laughs> well, they had a thing here at, at his theater, the New Beverly, where yeah. um, they played one of his movies every Friday night at midnight. And if you went to all eight, you got to go to a um, private screening of oh, wow. The Whole Bloody Affair. And I did that. And I went hoping that I, it would sway me, that I mm. would fall in love with Kill Bill finally. And it's different. Uh, the Crazy 88 fight scene is in color. The segue between what are parts one and two is completely different yeah um there's added scenes there's scenes that aren't in there um and it's still just like limp for me <laughs> well uh hopefully the next time i see kill bill it will be that version but um i'm gonna go ahead to number seven and that is the recently released once upon a time in hollywood uh mm. which i think like i said on our episode about it uh, I think it's probably going to grow for me quite a bit when I finally get a chance to see it again. Um, I, I think it may raise up this list a little bit. Uh, but, you know, my my initial reaction, though, honestly, when I first walked out of the theater, I was like, is this, like, going to, like, fight with Death Proof for number nine? But as it sat with me the last couple of days, it's already made its way up to number seven, and I'm I'm very excited to see where it eventually settles in. Yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that. It's hard to place this one because it's so un-Tarantino, in yeah, my opinion. absolutely. Like, it, it's hard to, like, figure it out within the body of work, so. Yeah, very different. Um, what do you got put for, it, uh... Put it, put it at seven, why don't you? Yeah, um, why not? <laughs> uh, number six, I have, uh, I have Pulp Fiction. Okay. Um, and honestly, it, just staring at the list, I don't know why I put this one ahead of death proof. Cause honestly, I think I might like death proof a little bit more. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I really find the, at least half of Pulp Fiction to be a total wash of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the opening with Tim, uh, with, uh, Tim Roth. I love it. Um, and I love the, uh, them, the foot massage and them going and, you know, getting the briefcase. I love it. Mm-hmm. Then we get to the Mia Wallace story, and I just could not care less. I feel like it is completely, it's just air. It's like, I don't find either of their characters to be very interesting. Hmm. Um, interesting. I find Travolta to be a functioning heroin addict. Like, that idea alone is insane to me. <laughs> I'm going to shoot heroin and then 
drive my convertible, go pick up my boss's wife, go to a Fitbit. No. <laughs> um, I uh, don't find there to be any chemistry between the two actors at all. Hmm. Um, uh, and then when it gets to her snorting the heroin, it's like, she's obviously like very like, uh, she's obviously, you know, a bit of a Coke fiend. Um, most people who do drugs can tell the difference between Coke and heroin. Um, <laughs> they don't look the same, just letting people know. Um, and uh, I mean, that scene is good, of course, like, but like it's preceded by 30 minutes of I don't give a shit. Then we get to the Bruce Willis story, which I think is from start to finish perfection. I think it is uh, palpable. I think it's funny. I think it's intimate. I think it's, um, it's I, I just think it's terrific. I think it's a terrific sequence. And I, I'm not in the camp of like, oh, would Travolta really leave his gun on the counter? Yes, he would. He's a fucking moron heroin addict. Um, <laughs> I think it's brilliant. And then we get to the Jimmy, uh, to the Bonnie situation with Jimmy, um, which, okay, great, great idea. For some reason, Vincent pointed his gun at somebody's head. Again, he's just the worst fucking hitman ever. Um, but uh, they, there's a ticking clock on this one. They got to get him out of there, you know, before like she comes home. <laughs> so, but then like, it's so laid back and takes so long and there's no urgency. And they call the wolf who the wolf shows up. What does he do? He says, clean the car, change your clothes. Mm-hmm uh okay <laughs> thanks like even that line itself where he's like it's 30 minutes away i can be there in 10 it's like what the fuck are you talking about like what a dumb thing to say like i, <laughs> I think it all just sh- plays to the fiction part of the title but <laughs> but even with samuel jackson he could have been like he could have been like all right i'm gonna come get you and Samuel would be like where are you he's like i'm in brentwood he's like brentwood shit that's 30 minutes away and he could be like i'll be there in 10 that's how you do that <laughs> you know what i mean like but but then it it all wraps up beautifully with the diner scene at the end which is every bit of fantastic as as the legend would suggest sure um, the stuff that's in it that's good i mean it's funny because there's an hour and 20 minutes of perfect right right surrounded by is that that sandwich is like a club sandwich just an hour of like get the fuck out of here <laughs> for me well um, i i i'm realizing from your list so far that you definitely are a bigger fan of uh recent tarantino than uh his early days it seems i'll like. explain why once we get there but yes uh, okay yes, absolutely right absolutely on. Well, uh, my number six is Kill Bill, um, which, like I said, upon rewatching, absolutely dropped a few spots for me. Um, it would have been way up towards the top for many, many years since it first came out. Uh, but on, on watching it again, I found a collection of of just great, great scenes in a movie that just fell, you know, a little bit, you know, all over the place, kind of meandering from scene to scene. Um, but that being said, there's so much to love here. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, there's still great movies, the two of them combined. And, you know, he's, he's toyed with the idea of a third one for years. And I think I would be perfectly happy with seeing more Kill Bill if it ever happened. Well, now that Bill's not around. Sure. Um, (laughs) I think that I, I really love, uh, this is where Tarantino started to like go into the territory of his movie characters being people as opposed to just character types mm-hmm. like that are subverting your expectations. Cause that's about as far as the character types in Pulp Fiction extend. Right. It's like a character type that subverts your expectation mm. and kill bill. It starts to explore the humanity of character types. And so that I applaud. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's weak 
Gotcha. Maybe, maybe from the, in the same way that Reservoir Dogs, where it's doing that kind of thing out loud for the first time is a tough thing to do. Right, right. Uh, gotcha. You know, I'm glad he made it because without it, we wouldn't have the Glorious Bastards. Sure. <laughs> well, what do you got for number five? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. Um, it's the cop out to put it right at the middle. Um, <laughs> and that's what I'm going to do. Uh, nice. If only because it is so new and because it is so un-Tarantino and you know what I mean? Like, like for all the reasons we've discussed, um, I'm going to put it right in the middle because his craft is, is just as strong as ever. Um, he's working with the best talent out there. Um, and yes, I include Timothy Oliphant in that pool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that it, um, even if it won't stand the test of time, I'm so grateful that it has happened now and that it's having the effect it's having on the town that I live in. Sure. And I only see positive things coming because of it. So I'm happy with putting it right at the middle right now. Nice. So. That, that works. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's definitely a, a good way to go when a new movie pops out and you want to uh, try to fit it into a ranking. This way it can move up or down, you know? Um, so I want to say before I say my number five that... Uh, all five of the next movies, one through five for me, I would consider five-star movies, in my opinion. Um, I absolutely love all five of them. Uh, and number five would be The Hateful Eight. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I know a lot of people don't like it for whatever reasons. Um, you know, I, 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 I get that it's, uh, you know, a, a strange one. I get that it's incredibly violent and... You know, there are characters that are just awful, awful people, but that is what makes it so great. Um, I, I think it's it's a, a beautiful movie. It's probably his best looking movie. And, uh, you know, the, the way I would describe it is gleefully deranged. That's what I called it when it first <laughs> came out. And I, I just, I love it so much for that. I just think it's such a great movie. It's so insane. And, uh, uh, Another thing is um, Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, what, what's the character now? I'm drawing a blank. Mark uh, Daisy Do- Domergu. Yeah, is one of the best characters I think of this last decade. I, I think she's so <laughs> freaking great. She is absolutely nuts. There's a moment when she's um, when she's uh, you know talking <laughs> talking about how the uh there's 15 more gang members waiting for them and uh and then he's just like you know fuck you and shoots and and the blood goes all over and and she does this like it's almost like a like a bugs bunny thing that is yeah. just so fucking funny it's like it, she's like a freaking cartoon character it's like hilarious and so good i just love her so much yeah she's she is terrific in it um i'm not the biggest fan of hers overall Sure. Um, but he has he has a way of doing that for me with actors where like I actually think the one thing about Tarantino that I like the least is I I hate the actors he picks, mm. but he always manages to get a good performance out of them. Right, right, right. Um which <laughs> segues perfectly into my number 4 if you're done talking about sure. late, which for me is Django Unchained. Okay. Um there are very few actors/people that I dislike as much as Jamie Foxx. Mm. Um and as the legend goes, after Will Smith turned it down because he Django was not the character who kills Calvin Candy, mm. um, they offered it to a bunch of people. And somebody, one of the people on the list was Chris, uh, Chris Rock, or not Chris, uh, Chris Tucker. Oh, okay. Chris, Chris Tucker was offered the role. And 
gosh, it, if I ever could like, you know, cast a genie wish, a movie, a movie wish, it would be to see that version of Django Unchained. Wow. I think yeah. it would have I think it would have revolutionized things. I think that like I, I think that it would have saved his career. I think it would have brought in a level of intrigue. Like it's the same with that, not to detract, but like the Denzel Washington movie Fences. Mm-hmm. Um I remember wishing the whole time watching, I was like, man, I wish Eddie Murphy had played this character. Right, right. Because this is what we expect from Denzel. And who Django becomes by the end of Django Unchained, that's how we expect Jamie Foxx to be. Uh But to see Chris Tucker make that transformation would have been far more exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, In every way. Um, Not only if you have context of him as an actor, but also just him as an actor. Like, I think he brings more to a part than Jamie Foxx ever could. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie Foxx also is a terrible tipper. Um, <laughs> I've I heard speak that. from a from a pizza delivery boy. <laughs> but um, but that being said, I think the Django Unchained is a truly brilliant film. I think it came, it came out around the same time as Twelve Years a Slave, and I remember being like, "This to me is like a real." I, I felt like every other slave movie up until then had been a film for middle aged white people to feel better about themselves for not sure. being racist. And I felt <laughs> for the first time, Django was just like, "Fuck you," yeah, you know, and and beautifully, "Fuck you," and then creates this wonderful uh fairy tale character for for a black audience i mean like i'm 100 down with Django dancing on his horse at the end and blowing <laughs> up a plantation that's a fucking ending um, yeah right the script for Django unchained is significantly longer and there's a whole 40 page section in the middle where we see how Broomhilda Broomhilda gets a whole chapter of the movie. Right. Um, I feel like she's like, so they, they don't do enough with her in, in the movie version. I could imagine that there would be much more that he wanted to do. Right. Right. It, it, like there's a whole, like a whole journey she goes on. That's very interesting. Also, the ending is different in his script in the script. Um, Django gives a gun to everybody. So there's all six of them. And he draws and he shoots all six of them before any of them can shoot him. Hmm. And that's why Schultz calls him the fastest gun in the West. Right, right. And I personally think that climax would have been a little stronger. Sure. But, but Django is so high up for me because to me, that's the only movie that Quentin has made. Maybe people argue this. That movie is made for teenagers who go to the mall to make out with their girlfriend on Friday night. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's a movie. That's a get popcorn and candy and sit down and watch Django Unchained. It's a movie through sure. and through. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just think it's a fucking terrific. Uh, that's his only like blockbuster, in my opinion. And it shows it's what it made half a billion dollars. Yeah. Oh, I would agree with that, even though I didn't like it as much as you did. And I wish I liked it more, but um, I would agree with that. It is his closest thing to being like a blockbuster type movie. And uh it's it's a very interesting movie in his overall filmography. I mean, and like I said when I brought it up earlier, I mean, there is lots that I still love about it, even if I didn't right. overall like the whole thing. But uh, I think as film as film lovers and film fans and film aficionados, filmmakers, whatever you want to call us, we sometimes forget about just like not and I don't mean any condescension, the everyday audience. Sure. The general sure. audience. Absolutely. And one of the reasons I love people like Michael Bay and Adam Sandler so much is because they're making movies for those people. They're not making movies for, for us. Mm. They're making movies for the people that don't get good food. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to cinema. Yeah. And while maybe to us it's, you know, fart jokes and robots, mm-hmm. um, the, the intention and the meaning and the, the detail um, and the spirit of those films is sorely lacking 
uh, in in a lot of films that are just made for mass consumption, all these horror films or sure. or you know remakes and all that. And so I'm glad that when a movie like that happens, I really get behind it. It's the underdog, you know, it's the Rocky in my opinion. So something like Django Unchained, that to me is a Tarantino movie for people who don't know who Quentin Tarantino is. Right, right. And I'm glad it exists for that. So hell yeah. Well, uh, my number four um, is a movie that. Again, to bring up my rewatching these movies uh, just before uh, seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this is one that would have been down towards the bottom of the list because I only saw it one time and it was opening weekend back in 1997. And that is Jackie Brown. And it just, when I was that age, I don't think I really got it. Um, I don't really think I understood what was happening exactly, uh, but at watching it as an adult and like really picking up on the fact that this is in a lot of ways, his most adult film. I mean, it's got like a lot more to it than a lot of his other movies. Um, I just thought it was so freaking good. Uh, watch it, watching it just last week. I, I couldn't believe it. And that is like, honestly, such a treat to have like a filmmaker that you love, but you, there's a movie of theirs that you never quite got a chance to get into i also love this with like albums as well like if there's a band that you like and and then it's like oh but there's that one album i never really got into and then you finally get into it you know um but now i'm like so psyched to go back and watch jackie brown again now because um holy shit i mean i would have never imagined it would be in my top five when i was uh sitting down to watch these movies Honestly, everything the the from the story to the performances, the the humor, the the violence, the um, you know, the plotting of the 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 whole uh, you know, the whole crime element. Um, De Niro's performance specifically was so freaking good. One of his better performances, I think. I think it's his best. Yeah, I think it's his best performance. Oh yeah, he's so freaking good in it. Um. And I mean, of course, Pam Greer is amazing, and everyone is amazing in it. Um, it it's just Robert Forrester. Oh, I Robert Forrester. Oh, I think that's one of the best performances Quentin's ever gotten out of an actor. Absolutely, period. absolutely. Um, I think Jackie Brown is actually um, uh, owes him a lot more than it, he's ever been given credit for. Even though people speak highly of his performance, I think that that movie owes a lot more to him than they've ever given credit for. Yeah, I think um, that's absolutely fair to say. Yeah. No. Um, it's perfect because this is that's my number three is Jackie Brown. So okay. like, this is a perfect like we can kind of just knock around about it for a minute. Um, yeah. Jackie Brown. Uh, I showed it to my niece while she was in town and she at 13 years old loved it. Um, and then the next day almost met Sam Jackson. She missed him by like half a second at my job. <laughs> um, but uh, but Jackie Brown. It's interesting. Um, the one negative I'll say about it is that it's horribly shot in my opinion. Mm. While the setups are, uh, like, the, the actual, like, design is good, the actual framing and the lighting are just terrible. Gotcha. When you go back and look at it, like, heads are cut off, like, um, compositions are off, certain shots are flat, lighting is flat. It's really stressful. Mm. Um, okay, now that that's out of the way, <laughs> it's also a very un-Tarantino movie. Sure. Um, um, which I think was very necessary for him to do after Pulp Fiction. He needed to make something that wasn't his. Sure. Um, and uh, and it's proof that he was um, that he's the real deal, that um, it is completely out of character, yet it is still completely his. Right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which is almost. It's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, he it's funny. I see the frustration in him when he talks about because a lot of people talk about how that's his best film. Um, 
And I remember very specifically him in an interview one time saying, I was not put on this earth to do Jackie Brown, you know? Right. Right. Um, and speaking as a filmmaker, I can understand that frustration when the world embraces something of yours that you don't feel ownership of. Um, that can be a really hard thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, Woody Allen had a very similar experience, I guess, with Manhattan. Um, where like audiences really just embrace Jackie Brown, especially in, you know, throughout the years. And I think that the fact that people embraced it so much as being his best film and everything they celebrated about him before, the pop culture, the poppy fun pulpiness of Pulp Fiction, mm -hmm. the fact that they were celebrating like now he's really matured and blah, blah, blah. Like that had to rub some salt in the wound. Sure. And I feel like because of that, that's what compelled him. That's what gave him the strength to put away Inglorious Bastards to say, you know, like I need to really show them who I am. Right, right. Um, so I'm very grateful for Jackie Brown in that way because um, the reason I'm not into the first half of Tarantino's career is because it's just about movies at best. I don't give a shit about movies. I love movies, but I love movies because of what they say about people and what they impart. And you know what I mean? Like, that's what I like. I like people. Right, right. And I feel like the second half of his career, starting with Inglorious Bastards, you start to see he's making these movies for reasons other than he likes movies. Sure. And I'll sure. get into it more when we talk about Inglorious Bastards and when I talk about Hateful Eight, but mm -hmm. I mean, Django is so obviously about something other than how cool movies are. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Right on. I, I, I dig it. I, I like, I like all that that you were saying about Jackie Brown is really interesting. Um, and I, yeah, I, I can imagine that, that at that point in his career, like to hear like that, this is his new best. And like, you know, when it's something that is based on, someone else's writing and like it's uh it must have been an interesting thing to to be able to navigate that i guess yeah you know i mean i i just made my last film tellers and mm -hmm. um i want to be careful with what i say about it here because i don't want to step on any toes but um you know shooting this movie is my biggest budget and i was also producing for the first time and it was a rush production and this is a script that i wrote five years ago it's very personal to me mm -hmm. and i was working with a professional crew for the first time and um I was not very happy with the results. Um, and it's not a bad movie. So it's frustrating when I talk to people about it. You know what I mean? When like, we're like, you know, oh, come on, it's great. It's, you know, it's like, you know, yes, I think it's good. It's just, it's not me. Hmm. You know, it like, and my buddy Will, who's kind of my confidant, I show him my movies to see what, if they're really good or not. <laughs> I trust <laughs> him. When it was done, he turned to me and he said, why did you spend so much money on something that doesn't feel like you? That's what he said. Huh. And he's right, you know? And so it is a frustrating place to be in as an artist where like you make something that is obviously connecting with people that, you know, but like at the end of the day you go, yeah, but that's not what I'm on this earth to do. Right. Right. So that's Quentin, I'm sorry that it's, uh, cause obviously Quentin's listening. Uh, yes. I'm sorry that it's uh, number three on my list, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Hey man, all I can say is like, even when it's not yours, you do a great job. So take that for what it is. <laughs> Well, Quentin, number three on my list is a movie that uh, a lot of people love very, very much is Pulp Fiction. Um, and I mean, what what else can you really say about it? I mean, you know, obviously there are segments in there that didn't work for you. Uh, I would I would say I love all of it, honestly. I mean, it's it just I don't know. It's such a, you know, aside from the movie itself. It's amazing going back to it and just seeing how much of it has permeated pop culture. 
it's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a thing that that's you know in some ways I could see saying that that takes away from it, but at the same time I just think it's just insanely. I guess interesting, maybe that's not the right word, but just that a movie could be, I mean, every minute of this movie is a, like a quotable thing or a meme or something like that, you know? It, yeah. It's it's just amazing that a movie can have that much impact. How crazy is it that there isn't a big Kahuna burger yet? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> should be. It, you know, they keep doing all these pop-ups out here in LA, like they've done the McDowell's from uh, uh, from coming to america they've done that a couple times that right now they've got one on santa monica they've got good burger from good burgers yeah, yeah they do these, like how have they not done this yet for big kahuna burger and the only thing i'm thinking is because like it would be too popular <laughs> yeah right it is a tasty you know I mean? burger after all so yeah it would just become its own <laughs> restaurant and like i'm i'm genuinely surprised that it i mean for god's sakes bubble gum shrimp happened you know i know I mean? right like, <laughs> how has funny maybe that's why maybe he was gonna do it then that happened and he's just like fuck that movie yeah you know fucking, like fucking yeah i'm not i'm not copying them they're oh wow <laughs> we just figured it out we cracked that's it. why there's no big kahuna burger god damn it that now Why'd i hate now down? i hate that movie even more oh man we gotta take it down <laughs> we gotta take it down <laughs> well what do you got for number uh two <laughs> number two um <laughs> uh i think i know what you got for number two but go for it uh Hateful Eight? Yeah. Um, there are a few movies. I mean, I see I see movies once or twice in the theater if I really love them. You know what I mean? Like, I see them a couple times. But, mm. like, there are a few movies that I've seen way too many times. I saw Clerks 2 ten times in the theater, five of which on opening day. I saw... Um, <laughs> I'm not even saw, te- sure if there's technically enough hours to do that, but I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> it happened. And after the fourth screening, when I was going into the fifth, the manager at the theater was like, how many times have you seen this today? I'm like, this is my fifth. And he's... He was like, find me after the movie. And I said, okay. And when it was over, I walked out and um, she, sorry, she, um, she was standing there with a rolled up uh, six by four canvas poster of Rosario Dawson <laughs> from the movie. Um, so that one I saw uh, inside Lou and Davis, I saw 13 times in the theater, but that was because I was working at Arclight. So whenever I was like done with the shift or before my shift, I would just go in and watch it. Right? Nice. nice. Um, Hateful Eight. I paid out of my pocket 15 times. Wow. Um, and I saw it on film every time, except for once. Oh uh, I saw God. I saw the DCP one time. I saw the 70 millimeter version of it uh, uh, seven times because they had little booklets that they were giving out. Yeah, I've got uh, it. Right. <clears throat> I went each. They did not do eight. They only did seven because hmm. they wanted to leave a mystery of who is this eight hateful person? Is it Jody? Is it you know what I mean? Right. Um, who, who is it? You know, um, but um. Uh, I got all the booklets and then they played it at his theater for two months on film, 35 millimeter. I went there and collected all the cups and um, (laughs) I took uh, this girl on a date there um, on our first date. And that was lovely. Um, uh, My films, because I uh, don't have a lot of budget, a lot of times my films are very long scenes. Some people suggest that my movie should be plays Mm. and I the people who suggest that not to be condescending don't understand the difference in the language between the two mediums. Right. right. Um, but uh, um, even my own producer stopped working with me. We'd been working together for over 10 years. He stopped working with me because like of the kind of movies I was making. And then here comes in, here comes hateful eight and it's three hours in one room mm-hmm. and it worked really. Well. Oh yeah. Um, and I had read that script like everyone in the world. 
And I thought the script was terrible. I was like, this is the first Tarantino script that I've read that is just trash. Um, how is this going to work? And then when he made it and I watched it, it's the best directing he's ever done. Mm -hmm. um, it's his best directing. And it's a great cast, all making bold choices to go big. They're all, every actor in that movie is big. Yes. Even even Bruce Dern. Oh, yeah. And it it is so, such a tasty movie. It's such a, it's such a, I mean, it's so alive. It's so crackling. I mean, when you could argue that Obi is the best character and yet he's just the stagecoach driver, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like what kind of awesome movie is this? You know? Um, plus I think it's Kurt Russell's best performance um, ever. He's amazing um, in it. He's so oh, amazing. And the fact that he is the dead body on the ground, the whole second half of the film, <laughs> like he was there, yeah. you know, like that's the thing about Quentin. When all this me too stuff was happening and all the scandals, People got taken down. You know why he didn't get taken down? It's because he's always been open, always been honest, always been weird, and because he's the best. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, he really is the best. He's the best at what he's he's he really is the best director. And it's funny I'm saying this after like half his filmography. I'm like, what crap? Yeah. But like, <laughs> he is at the very least one of the last true filmmakers in the industry. Like, I'm sorry, Chris Nolan, J.J. Abrams, James Cameron, get out of here, you losers. Like, <laughs> Quentin is a real artist, and actors are willing to go the distance for a real artist. And actors only make big, bold choices when they trust the filmmaker. Right, right. You know, as good as Jennifer Jason Lee is in that movie, as much as you like her, she's not going to do that unless she trusts him. Sure, absolutely. You know what I mean? And, um, and uh, I mean, God, he's he's... He's just firing on all cylinders in that movie. And, oh, yeah. um, and also, I mean, just some of the brilliant like imagery in that, like when you've got a Confederate soldier and then a black union soldier standing side by side, pointing guns at us, the audience. I yeah. mean, come on. <laughs> 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 you know, when he says, how did you feel after the war? Did you, you know, when he says to the, uh, to Bruce Stern's character, he's like, how'd you feel? And Bruce Stern goes, well, got both my arms, both my legs. You're like, huh? And then at the end of the movie, the two characters survive. One of them can't use his arms, and one of them can't use his legs. <laughs> I, I didn't even notice that. That's great. <laughs> ah, true progress. He's a genius. That's yeah. Hatefully, watch the extended cut. It's not as good as the theatrical, but you know, give that movie its day. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and I, 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 I fucking love that movie. It's so good. I, I, I know a lot of people don't like it, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. If if you can't get into it, you just can't get into it, I guess. But I think it's just it, it's perfect. It's so good. Well, that movie that movie is real high art, though. Like yeah. I know it sounds silly to say it because it's a western with big silly performances. That's actually an art film. Mm. That um that that's real art. That's yeah. not Lars von Trier. Look at me, I'm an artist. Bullshit. That's real artistry. And I think that's why audiences didn't click with it because it's not a movie. It's a film. Right, right. That, that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. It, it it's. It's, uh, I mean, and, and I mean, even like you said, like about the play thing about it being set in one room. I mean, that is so different and I don't think people are used to things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. very much so. And again, Quentin has this amazing ability to have a victory at the end of all of his films. Yeah. And, um, and they're earned and that's why people like him. Like it's that's why his movies are rewatchable. That's why you don't go back and rewatch Requiem for a Dream twenty times because it ends fucking miserably. <laughs> right. But man, 
at the end of Pulp Fiction, even Honey Bunny and Pumpkin get the get get the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and he learned that from Tony Scott, R.I.P. And by the way, I didn't see it fifteen times in the theater, but I did see it three times in the theater. Two of which were the seventy millimeter road show. So. Nine hours of your life, man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, on to uh, my top two. And I will say I have reversed these two multiple, multiple times uh, over the past week. Uh, so I should say I really can't decide which I want to keep as one and two. But I have to make a decision. So number two for me is going to be Reservoir Dogs. Um <laughs> I love Reservoir Dogs so much. Um, I know a lot of people seem to have it towards the bottom of their list. I know, obviously, you did. Um, To me, Reservoir Dogs, every moment of that movie to me is just, I I just have like this dumb smile on my face through it. I mean, that's the only thing I could really, Mm -hmm. only way I could describe it. it. It's hard to explain why I like it so much, although I do think there's something special about it being his first, you know, film. And the, the fact that to come out swinging like that was something so bold and interesting, uh, that, that kind of weighs over the whole thing. Um, but there's just something to me as, as dark as it is, as you know, like you said, it's got like, you know, the ending, uh, you know, everybody loses and everything, you know, it, it, I, it still just kind of just puts this kind of goofy grin on my face from beginning to end where I just, I love what's happening on screen and it's really hard to describe, but I, I love it so freaking much. And it is to me, one, one of my favorite movies. I love it. Excellent. I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> and obviously that means that we both have the same number one. Hell yeah. Cause there is only one number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the masterpiece after all. It is indeed self-proclaimed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Inglorious Bastards. My God. So good. I mean, I read the script, like I said, about a year before the film came out. I remember where I was. I was in my apartment all by my lonesome right after my separation from my long-term girlfriend. Three years we were together. We split up right before the wedding. Um, and uh, I read that script. I printed it. I printed it out and read it. <laughs> and when it was done, when I was done reading it, I flipped it back to page one and read it again in one sitting. And that script is way longer than what we saw in the film. There are backstories for half the characters. You see an entire journey of Shoshana getting the, uh, getting the theater, how she came to like have it. Um, And I'm sitting here reading the script and I'm just depressed the whole time. The first time. Cause I'm like, man, I love these characters so much. And I love this story so much. And I know that like, but I know how world war two ends, you know? Yeah. And when I read, like, you know, Donnie kicks open the door and opens fire. Hitler is torn to shreds. I was like, what? I was, I was like, hang on. You can do that? Where's the part where they rewind it? You know, like, where's the part where, like, they're like, just kidding. Like, wow. And, um. And it wasn't until seeing the film that the whole thing really clicked. Um, my uh, my girlfriend at the time when the movie came out, I had another girlfriend whose father was kind of a World War II historian. And we went to go see it opening day together, me, him and her. And I knew how it was going to end. And of course, I had not revealed it. Right. And I'm waiting the whole time. I'm so stoked because I want to see the look on his face. Like when it happens, you know, I'm just waiting. Yeah. And when it happened, he gave just the slightest little like, oh, huh. like just that just the slightest little. Huh. 
fun. <laughs> and I reveled in it. Um, that film is the first Tarantino movie that is about something. <clears throat> that movie is about propaganda mm-hmm. and America, like American propaganda. And the power and of movies. And how movies have been in cahoots with American propaganda in a negative way and have led us down the pathway that we're in now. Mm. Like um, in that film, you've got Nation's Pride playing on on the screen and you've got the Nazis cheering every time an American is shot and you're just thinking, oh, it's fucking Nazis, right? Yeah. And then when I'm in the theater watching the movie, when Hitler's getting torn to shreds, the audience erupts in cheers. Yeah. And I went, oh my God, <laughs> he's turned us into Nazis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, I got it. You know what I mean? And like, and the beauty of that movie, it's the first film I've ever seen that doesn't make you sympathize with Nazis, but it's the first film to humanize them. Mm. And to say that in a movie that is so cartoonish. Right, right. And it's, it's almost like a Tasmanian devil. Oh, totally. You know, um, with its Gorlami, you know, and shit like that. <laughs> like, it's so, like, it's so wacky and fun and beautiful but it's also so human. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's an undeniable masterstroke. Um, it's, it's, I really hope that when all these people who still pretend that citizen Kane is the best movie ever have finally died off. (laughs) And when Tarantino (laughs) is long gone and it's not like a happening hip dude, Uh that the, the list is reevaluated and that movie is put at number one where it belongs. (laughs) Either either that or 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 do the right thing. Right, and those are right. the two best American films we've ever had. Um, well, and it totally changed my perspective on Quentin because I was done with him. You know, yeah, I, mean? I really, I really was. I was just thinking, like you had, you were mentioning earlier about how, like, there's that moment when he went from making movies about, you know, how cool movies are to making movies about characters, and I, I think this really blurs that line. I mean, it's it's both mm-hmm. things at once. It's like the perfect the perfect moment in his career really. And, uh, and, you know, speaking of characters, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, Hans Landa is one of the best characters I think ever put to screen. Um, I agree. It's incredible. Originally, I think they were going to cast, he wanted to cast Leo in that. I heard. Yeah. I I have read that before as well. Yeah. That's That's... another what if cast. Like Adam Sandler was supposed to play the bear Jew, but funny people ran long. That's the only one out of all of them that I'm like, God, if there's a way we could like pull a Rick Dalton and digitally put him in this movie. Yeah, um, he'd be good. Like um, Adam Sandler just would have taken that to another level. Eddie Murphy was uh, rumored to play uh, 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 Marcel, the uh, projectionist. Oh, uh, really? Yes. And oh. Simon Pegg, everyone knows Simon Pegg was originally cast as Archie Hickox, but right. shooting on Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Went lo- or no, not Hot Fuzz. Um uh paul i think it was oh um something like yeah went long so he couldn't do it and and thankfully we were given mike fassbender sure um who you know thank you quentin for that oh yeah that scene in the tavern for god's sake is 27 minutes long in the bar and it is uh, one of the best scenes he's ever shot i mean i think it's one of the best scenes in movie history oh yeah absolutely i i i it just undeniable like the and there's no other movie like it, not even any of his other movies, because his other movies have like this wild kind of approach. Even Django and Hateful Eight feel a little wild at times. Mm. There's something about Inglorious Bastards where the scope of it is so tuned. You yeah. know what I mean? That's such a finely tuned movie. Um, it's a movie that he spent 
you know, half a career making and it shows in a good way. Yeah. Um, sometimes you get these brilliant little lightning in a bottle movies, you know, the notorious Ghostbusters from concept to release was one year mm. from like the day they pitched it to the, like where they came up with the idea to the day it was in theaters was one year to the day. Wow. Right. But some, sometimes, you know, taking your time, but then when he wrote it, what'd they say? Like they said, like they wrote it and then six weeks later they were shooting. Right. Like when he finally finished it, you know, like, um, yeah, like he's a real artist. And that, and that movie showed it to me. That movie proved it to me. Not that he needed proving it to me, but that, you know, <laughs> like I said, I was done with them. And then, uh, then that happened and it, and it was not only the best screenplay, still the best screenplay that I've ever read. Um, but the film itself has so much meaning and so much care and is so exciting and funny and gave us so many great actors and actresses that we had never heard of. And um, I think in a more quiet way had just as much of an impact on film and on culture as Pulp Fiction. Mm. Well, you know, I could, I could talk about it for a long, long time. All the other performances, Brad Pitt, of course. But um, the the one other thing I wanted to mention about it is when I was doing my rewatches of of all these movies last week, uh, that 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 final you know moment when he's carving the swastika and he says, "I think this just might be my masterpiece." I literally burst into tears. Like yeah. mean, they shot out of my eyes. I was like, yeah. this is the, it's the most beautiful thing. I think it's so freaking perfect. That moment, the audacity of that too. Like you oh. just put a swastika in our face and said, this is my masterpiece. Yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> there, oh there is God. in the script. There's actually when, when they're all at the theater at the beginning and Lando is watching uh, the, um, uh, Chris, uh, Christoph Waltz is watching them from a, uh, from the balcony uh-huh. um, in the script, in the movie before that scene, we see him in the tavern and he finds the shoe. Right. Mm. Yeah. But in the script, there is no transitional scene. It just goes from them to the, to the uh, premiere. And when it pans up to Christoph Waltz in the script, it describes a thought bubble, much like the Flintstones pops out of Lando's head in the <laughs> thought bubble. We see him finding the shoe. And I was so excited to see that in the theater. Oh, wow. And uh, when it didn't happen, I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I can't have it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I kind of want to uh, read that script now. but um... Oh, dude, that script, it'll put hair on your knuckles. Oh, it's, it's... I got to do it. Um, it's proof that this industry is such a loser industry. No offense, <laughs> industry. Please hire me and give me work. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, you get coverage. You, you know, like, one of the reasons I don't send in myself is because people send you back coverage. Oh, you should change this. You should do this. You should do this. It's like, should I? Have you seen the note, the coverage notes for uh, True Romance? Mm-mm. No. See if you can find that online. It's, it's on there, like, the coverage that he got on True Romance. It's hilarious. If you listen to the coverage, the world wouldn't have changed. <laughs> oh. Oh man. Well, I mean, honestly, I had so much fun going down this list of movies with you. Um, I, you know, it's obviously not something we do here on the show a lot, but you know, new Tarantino movie doesn't come too often. So I figured it would be a fun thing to do. Uh, I, I think we I think we did it though. I, I think we have some interesting lists and uh, you know, it's funny, you know, I posted in our popcorn and puzzle pieces group about it and uh you know, everybody's lists are so incredibly different. I mean, he is just such an interesting filmmaker that everybody seems to get different things out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but and he's one of the few filmmakers that 
everyone has seen all of his movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? I know there's only nine of them, but you know what I mean? Like you have still, to see like, how many people haven't seen following by Chris Nolan? Right. You know what I mean? I sure haven't. Like, <laughs> well, you ain't missing much. Man. Yeah. I but you get so. what I'm saying though. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. So like he's somebody that I think everybody, whether it's, you know, your mechanic or your film professor, once they see one, they go, what else has this guy done? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Well, uh, Joe, this was great. Um, where can people find your work? Uh, Facebook, just go to on Facebook, look up Blue Means Pregnant Films. Um, uh, it's the only page called that. And uh, there's like trailers and clips from all my movies. And then if you just hit me up through there, I, I will gladly share links with you. And there will be a website by the end of the year, too, that will have everything available to watch. Beautiful. Well, uh, hey, I'm glad you were able to uh, come here and uh, fill in for Chad. But um, I'd love to have you on again sometime, man. I'm honored and grateful. I feel kind of like uh, Anne Hathaway in The Devil Wears Prada, but, you know, um, <laughs> like that. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. I like doing this with you guys. Why didn't the three little pigs go in for some kind of flat share scheme? Does Jesus get to choose which wine he turns it into? Why don't Sims have the upper body strength to climb out of a swimming pool? And does everybody really want to be a cat? I'm Will Baker. And I'm Alex Prescott. And if you're the type of person that overthinks these deep philosophical questions, then Think to the Brink is the podcast for you. From Disney characters to song lyrics, debates to social etiquette, tune in every week for your dose of paralysis by analysis. All topic suggestions are welcome. If you can think it, we can overthink it. Think to the Brink. Available on all podcast platforms. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the films of Quentin Tarantino. What do you think? What's your ranking? We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us. You know, you can tweet at us at PiecingPod, or you can email me directly, bydavidrosen at gmail.com. And, of course, we've got our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group where we already have had a very lively discussion about the films of Quentin Tarantino, uh, but we are always looking to talk about all kinds of movies, so we'd love to have you join in there. Um, but yeah, get in touch. We'd love to hear what your thoughts on uh, on the films of Tarantino and on just how you're enjoying the show in general. So uh, definitely, we'd love to hear from you, and we appreciate that you're out there listening. Uh, we've got a lot more piecing it together coming your way. We've got like five episodes in the can, and we've got a bunch that we're planning on recording in the coming weeks here, and there's absolutely no shortage of movies for us to cover. So we've got plenty coming your way, and we are so happy that you're out there listening. So if you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and just make sure you're subscribed, because like I said, there's a lot coming your way. Uh, that does it for today. Let's close this thing up with a piece of music, as we always do. And actually, I got a good one for today, for the films of Quentin Tarantino. Um, this is an instrumental track that I made a long, long time ago. I think it was, like, literally the week after Kill Bill Volume 1 came out. And I was obsessed with the soundtrack. And I was like, I want to try to make something that sounds like the music from Kill Bill. And uh, this is something that was released on a compilation of local bands that I actually uh, produced. 
um, God, way back, what is that, like 2004, 2005? It was called the UNLV Polar Bear Club Support Your Fucking Local Music Scene Compilation CD, which is uh, something that actually came out and was all over Las Vegas back then. Uh, lots of great music here in town from small independent bands. And uh, I stuck this at the end, and hey, people seemed to like it. And then uh, it was at least another six, seven years before I finally came out with an album of my instrumental music. But uh, I, I've always loved this piece. So it, it sounds a lot like the music from the uh, final fight scene with Lucy Liu. Uh, but, you know, be the judge of, you know, where it really fits in. But I think it could maybe fit its way into something, Tarantino. But enjoy it. And it's called Confrontation. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together next week.
and All Points West. 